0: Hear the world sounds you're listening to episode 32 of hack to start. This episode features Jeremiah Gardner, the author of the lean brand, the first book to apply lean principles to brand development, to teach you how to develop meaningful relationships with your audience. Tyler and I wanted to invite Jeremiah onto the show to share more about his experience as an entrepreneur and author.
1: Jeremiah launched the lean brand book campaign after months of extensive customer development. He teamed up with Brand Cooper and Fate Grimlock to help create the most comprehensive book on branding. The self-publishing campaign raised $23,000 in just 28 days. That's 184% of the initial goal. Now let's get to it.
0: Hey Jeremiah, thanks for being on the show today.
2: Hey Franco, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a long time since uh, since we last spoke, so I'm looking forward to uh, you know learning a little bit more about what you've been up to in the meantime, and, and having you share that story with uh, with the listeners.
2: Yeah, me too. I'm excited to to hang out with you and, and chat some lean brand and be good.
0: Yeah, for sure. So uh, before we get too far into it, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship uh, really develop?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I'm from, I always say that I was born in the city of sin and raised in the city of angels. So born in Las Vegas and raised in Los Angeles. There you go. And, uh, you know, so kind of fun stuff. And and I went to school, uh, got my degree in political science and organizational communication and really worked in politics for a little while and realized pretty quickly it wasn't for me. And so I was kind of a wandering, you know, solopreneur, Uh, always risk and and the chance of reward interests me and you know I think the more that you learn just by doing that there's opportunity and and that failure isn't you know the end of everything and I've failed a lot more than probably have succeeded in entrepreneurship, Um, the more that you kind of feel emboldened to do it and so I think as far as my passion for entrepreneurship it's really come from um, trial and error and learning that you know the opportunity Exist out in the wild if you're willing to kind of strap on the, uh, the boots and, uh, and head out the door, um, you know, put yourself out there. Things are, are out there for you to engage with and to learn from and to continue to grow with and create kind of your own path.
0: Absolutely. And so on that path, you know, talking about it, you just launched your first self-published book, The Lean Brand, uh, a little while ago, and and it's it's just being you know like shipped out to a whole bunch of people now. So, for those listening who might not know, what is the Lean Brand, and and how did you form the concept?
2: Sure. So, the Lean Brand kind of uh, adds to the idea of of lean innovation. Um, you know, there were a few books. Uh, one started, you know, with uh, Steve Blank really look, laying the groundwork. And then, uh, you know, Brant Cooper and, and Patrick Laskowitz released, uh, you know, their Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. And the Lean Startup came out and kind of, it's become kind of a buzzword, but lean doesn't mean cheap. It doesn't mean um, fast or quick or any of these things inherently. Lean means eliminating waste in the development of value. Mm-hmm. And so the book kind of came about through these conversations I was having with, with some of these guys about the fact that they were talking about. Um, the end goal is to create a sustainable business. And kind of my argument to that was that, you know, all of this talk about lean innovation is really centered on product. Uh, and brand plays a significant role. And, and it's important to kind of lay out what is brand from the get-go um, because we have a lot of different definitions for it. And in fact, we use it a lot of different ways, right? If you think about brand, we use it as a noun. You know, we say uh, it's a brand. And then we use it as a verb when we say we need to brand ourselves or if we just brand, uh, or it's a possessive uh, noun when I say it's my brand or your brand and then you know the one that kind of is really pervasive is when we start using it as a synonym for business or for organization when we say like you know the top one hundred brands in advertising or cross channel platform blah 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 brands today uh, and so there's a lot of muddy water around the meaning of brand, and brand is capital IS, the relationship that develops between an organization and an audience. And that relationship is vital. You can have the greatest product with the greatest business plan and the most wonderful marketing plan around it, but if you don't have an audience and if you're not able to develop a relationship with them, you have a lot of paper. And so brand is an important ingredient for a startup and the way that we've approached it in the past is kind of this hangover from the Industrial Revolution uh, where it's big, pricey deliverables, and you know creatives up in Madison Avenue, uh, you know, in a, sitting in chairs that cost more than you and I have ever made in a year, and um, you know, flo- floating these creative ideas out that don't get to the heart of the relationship. And so, the question that the lean brand is asking and, and trying to answer is really, um, how do we innovate in the building of that relationship by reducing and eliminating the wasteful activities that we might do uh, in branding. Uh, and maximizing the value creation potential of that relationship.
0: Awesome. Are there any examples or or quick tips you can share with us from from the book or from you know uh, successes or failures and startups that you may have seen?
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of them out there. And uh, sure. one thing I would I would suggest is uh, you can get um, you know chapter three for free on our website um, if you just kind of want to poke around. It has a great case study uh, of a company called Buffer. Um, in there, and um, you know, to kind of share their a quick dirty tip, I guess, is that often when we think about brand, we think about the idea that we need lots of polish. So we don't want to send out an email if it doesn't have the right verbiage that we think it needs to have, or we, you know, spend thousands and thousands of dollars on, you know, having the right logo. And and most of these things really don't matter, right? And if you think about it from your perspective uh, and the companies that you're passionate about, they really don't matter. Um, what matters is are they reaching out to you? What matters is are they being, uh, you know, in, are they in pursuit of relationship with you? And so oftentimes when we think about brand, we think, oh, you know, I need to have this perfect polished thing because I want to be like Starbucks and Starbucks has this and so I have to emulate that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is illuminating in, in the lean brand is that emulation is a good way to look competent. But it's never going to help you become compelling, and so to become compelling, you have to look at the simple, almost uh, easy tasks. And I use Buffer as an example of this. Is their founder was telling this story about their first, uh, you know, ten customers. Who were they? Who Were the first ten people? And he said, you know, he he set up a splash page and, um, you know, basically told people it was available, which is called a smoke test in lean innovation. And, and watched as people signed up. And you know, he got 20 signups sign or so on. And then he sent an email just from his personal email and said, Hi, I'm, I'm Joel. I'm the founder of Buffer. Um, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. And he did a little bit of research. You, you could call it research, you could also call it stalking. But he looked people up uh, online and, and figured out who they were. And he tells this story of, of a photographer. And in his email, he included this thing. He said, Hey, uh, love the fact that you. Want to be a part of Buffer? Um, I saw this photo; it really spoke to me, uh, and I just would love to have a conversation with you. And that photographer was so blown out of the water that Joel had spent the time to look at his photography that it just became this big, uh, you know, passionate guy about Buffer. And from that growth, you know, you see Joel tells a story about jumping around with the first paying customer. It starts with one. And so instead of asking yourself, how do I get 1,000 customers or what's the right polish or what's the right verbiage, the real question is, how do I win one? Who is the most passionate and why are they passionate? Do I understand that? And how do I scale that, not from one to 100, but one to two? And that's the development of the relationship that matters. Those are the things that will pull the different artifacts that you need out of you is focusing at that level uh, as you grow.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's that's really well said. And that's a great uh, story. I mean, I think a lot of people know of of Buffer or, or use them. And, and they're definitely one of the uh, the best startups to, to kind of look up to. But uh, I, I think you're also right. You shouldn't just emulate everything.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So you also co-authored the book with Brant Cooper, a well-known entrepreneur and author of The Lean Entrepreneur. So what was the process like?
2: Oh, Brant's great. Um, I mean, Brant and I kind of uh, paired up on this book. Really about, I mean, he is the definition of a guy who's you know saying, you know, all the fluffy branding stuff is, is bullshit. You know, and I and I totally agree with him. Um, and so we kind of got to talking about this stuff, and and um, he developed a framework in The Lean Entrepreneur um, called the Value Stream Discovery Framework. And it, when you look at it, I mean, it's really talking about brand. And so what we tried to do was align uh, the lean brand to the value stream framework and back to some of Eric Reese's work in the lean startup so that the idea is that you don't have to you know, read the lean brand and then do a whole different set of uh, activities and experiments and ideologies that they all kind of fit together. Mm-hmm. And they work together to form truly a sustainable um, company. And so, I mean, to answer your question, question directly working with brand was great. Um, it's really been a great partnership, I think, for both of us. Um, and it's really helped kind of clarify um, what truly brand innovation means um, for a startup, because it doesn't mean the same thing for a startup that it means for, you know, a Trader Joe's or, or somewhere on the F50 list, you know.
1: So why did you feel it best to go the self-publishing route?
2: Well, uh, it's do it's, you have like another three hours <laughs> to describe that? Uh, in short, publishing's changing. Um, it, it's it's kind of like a wild wild west frontier. It's it reminds me of the internet uh, back in the boom in in some ways um, because the the medium through which publishing things are published um, is changing. So it's not just that it's digital. It's not just that. Um, you know, bookstores are starting to close down. And and it's not just that you can now publish anything. It's the fact that reading has changed in a way. The way that we uh, engage with content has changed. And so one of the ways that, that we felt um, to best communicate this message was to, to truly kind of eat our own dog food. And so we treated the book as a startup. And we said, you know, if we went with a publisher, it's kind of like getting – An unfair shot in the arm, and and we also kind of have a buffer between us and our audience. And so we decided pretty early on that that we wanted to kind of take this on, and and it's not purely self published, it's really an independent publisher um, called Market by Numbers Press, um, which Brant and I have kind of uh, are now uh, spearheading that. And what we wanted to prove was one, that you could do it. Um, and two, that in the process of doing that, that you could develop an audience around a book. And so um, one of the things that we wanted to be able to do was to test the material and fail at that material. And so throughout the writing of, of the book, I would go out and I'd speak at different things and uh, different events from South by Southwest all the way down to you know local meetups or, or different types of groups like that. and. Um, and I would test material, and I'd be uh, really aware on the certain pieces that I was testing, and I would be proactive about getting feedback. I mean, how, repeat that back to me in a, in a coffee. What did you get from this? What do you think about this concept? Um, did this make sense to you? How does it apply to your situation? And what was amazing about that was that we were learning not only about the content, but about the audience. And that process uh, in general is not something that traditional publishing does and it's not something that really they're interested in doing. They're interested in getting the book out there. Mm -hmm. And we were much more interested in creating value with the book and creating values hard. And so we wanted to go our own path with it, I guess, is is the short answer to why we went self-publishing. I'd also say that I think if you're going to write a book like The Lean Brand, uh, and you're unwilling to eat your own dog food, you probably should rethink whether or not you want to write that book. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and so there are many days that it was hard. It still is hard, um, and it should be hard. And I've come to the conclusion that, um, create, that writing a book and publishing a book and supporting people who have read your book um, and creating an ecosystem for people to step into and start using it is hard, extremely hard. And the reason for that is because creating value is hard. And it always will be. And so that gave us the freedom to step into that, to be wrong, to experiment, to fail even um, without the buffer of a traditional publisher or the deadline of a traditional publisher who just wants the text so they can get the book out.
0: For sure. That's that's pretty uh, crazy. Um, so, so we'll get a little bit more into the actual process here in, in just a bit. But I also just wanted to highlight something that, that I think is, you know, Add add some character to the book. Um, you know, you guys feature illustrations by the one and only startup dinosaur, Fake Grimlock. How did that actually happen? And do you now know the identity of of him or her, or was this all done through email and under you know the cover of darkness?
2: So uh, I cannot confirm nor deny, <laughs> deny. Oh, no. with, uh, <laughs> the uh, identity of of uh, you know the coffee loving, bacon eating dinosaur, Fake Grimlock. Yeah, um, no, you know, you know Fake Grimlock. Has something to say, and, and it aligns so much with what we have to say, uh, and that is that um, to to truly get find success, uh, you have to get out into the world. And Faith Grimlock's viewpoint um, was really that it's not about who's saying something; it's about what's being said. Yeah, and uh, that's a strong statement, and I believe that. And so it just felt like a great connection um, and a great point of connection for for us to work together and to find ways to continue to work together, which we uh, are kind of looking at right now, um, of how do we continue this? Because it's just been a kind of a partnership uh, made in heaven in some ways. And so uh, we loved working with the dinosaur. We'll continue working with the dinosaur. And, um, and I highly recommend that you, if you haven't yet, uh, get a copy of... Uh, a figure Mocks book because it's just brilliantly funny and makes a great point so
0: yeah absolutely so how did you guys come together to to figure that out was that something that was agreed upon day one or did it sort of evolve as you guys were talking
2: about some of the material uh it's the same process as everything else uh you know it it evolves the relationship evolves um you know we uh we kind of talked about in the very beginning this metaphor of uh you know mordor and uh you know this uh you know big brand ivory tower that looked like you know something out of a the Hobbit or out of Lord of the Rings you know and yeah. and then the adventurer steps out and has to go and, and there was this idea of this sword that there was this lean brand sort of truth and and of course we take all this and we test it and, and play with it and and uh, you know can take it to the to the nth extent that's just terrible um, and so out of that those those real conversations down to what do we want to test specifically um, about that metaphor kind of the artwork Took on a life of its own, and a metaphor all its own mm-hmm. uh, that really just went to support the message of the text. And I think the best thing I, I could ever see is a uh, one of our early adopters sent me this photo, and um, it's of his son who's three years old. Um, and he sent me an email. He said, "You know, I don't know what it is, but I have your book out on the you know my coffee table." And every night, my son goes and picks up that book and and sits for like forty five minutes and flips through it. And he said he doesn't sit for forty five minutes with Thomas the Train, but he'll sit for forty five minutes with the Lean Brand and flip through it. And it just goes to, to say, you know, I am like, oh, I, you know, either the kid's brilliant and you know he's genius and, and he understands it all, and I need to quit what I am doing, or he's looking for the photos and he's looking for the images and the illustrations, and um, and they communicate that powerfully, yeah. um, which is amazing. So. It evolves. Everything evolves. Uh, you know, if we were still writing the book and finishing it today, I'm sure there would be sentences and images and and graphics and things that we would continue to evolve. At some point with the book, you just have to say, "Okay, we're, we're there um, to a point where we know it creates value. Let's launch it, and then we'll continue to create value after it's launched."
0: For sure. And so one of the things you guys did when, when you did launch, or I guess just before launching, was actually creating a, a kind of a crowdsourcing campaign. So you ended up raising a little bit more than uh, $23,000 in just a little bit less than, than a month. Um, that was a 184% of your total initial goal of, of you know, 12500 bucks. So what process did you take to help kind of create and, and make that launch so successful? And, and kind of what tools or platforms did you use along the way to, to make that launch so successful?
2: Yeah, um, you know, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I I truly believe in what's become known as kind of crowd publishing, and and somehow I've been credited with coining the term crowd publishing. But I I believe in the the idea that that um, before you ever go out, quote unquote, you know, live and it's on on the shelf per se, um, to to tell people about it and to it's the greatest integrated test. Is someone willing to pay for um, the idea of the product, right? The idea of the book? And so we we felt pretty strongly about running a crowd publishing campaign. And you know, I've spent a lot of time talking about it um, with people and kind of giving advice. And I, I don't know if if there is necessarily a process that makes it successful. I think the process is understanding your audience, uh, understanding where they are um, in the value stream, understanding uh, how they're perceiving you. And the only way you do that is to be close to them first. And so before a campaign was ever launched, before we ever, you know, allowed people to to get behind, um, you know, the book, we were doing customer development. I mean, I was spending uh, at least ten to twelve hours a week on just in Skype, um, having conversations with people and trying to discover that pain. Where is that pain that people have with branding um, and the way that it's done today? And then also looking at what's the passion about something different and. You know, although the book is the first to truly say, like, old branding is BS, and you know, this is the way that we ought to approach. You know, this is one way that we ought to change that. This is what innovation means in this space. There are tons of innovators already out there doing it differently, and so you're learning from them, and you're having that conversation, and you're open to um, their feedback, truly open to what they have to say, rather than just wanting to get out what you have to say. And so that's the beginning of that audience. Uh, we didn't launch and then say everyone come to us. We said let us come to you. I want to hear about what you're doing. I mean literally down to a Google search for lean branding and there were like five people in, in you know that I could find that had we were talking about it and and I just called them and said hey I want to have a conversation tell me about what you're working on tell me about what's going on here's what I'm doing and and those people became passionate about it and became contributors to the book and to um, this idea and have continued to be. And so the process starts long before you launch a campaign. And then I think on, from there, um, I mean, I, I was just asked yesterday about what tools we used. And I, to be honest with you, I used Google Docs uh, spreadsheet <laughs> uh, and I just had their name uh, key insight and when I contacted them yeah. and then the more things that just said key insights that I got and as that grew I was able to read through it and kind of find some shared threads. And then the other thing that obviously I'd say is, is that um, email is vital and email um, is one of those things that, that when you write an email it's not about the right perfect mix of words or you know, the greatest images and all these things that kind of get caught up And I just wrote an email for myself. Here's what's going on. Here's what the week looked like. Oh man, this week sucked. Oh, this week was great. Uh, check out this piece of artwork from Fake Grimlock that he just sent in. Isn't this cool? Um, you know, all those sorts of things, including people in the process. And so when we launched, we were the fastest um, to be funded. Um, and that was amazing. And I mean, we literally, I remember the morning that we launched the campaign, my phone uh, started ringing and my email started going off. And the campaign was set to launch at 7 a.m. Pacific time. And my phone started at about 6.15 with people you know, all over the world saying, hey, it's not open yet. We want to buy it. We're, why is it not open? We're saying <laughs> we awesome. have to wait until 7 a.m. Pacific yeah. time. You know? um, so the passion of the customer development you do early is what leads to the success. And then during the campaign, it's about listening to where your audience is. For those that haven't become convinced, that have opened five emails, where are they? What is it that that still that they're on the fence about? Why aren't they supporting you? And when you start to ask those questions, instead of saying support me, support me, support me, and broadcast how great it is and how much they're missing out, when you look at them from a, a customer empathy standpoint, you go, oh man, you know, they're just not sure that this is gonna create value for them. So what can we do to show that we want to create value? What can we give now um, to do that? And so uh, there was a lot of testing and iteration that went on long before the campaign was live. And then there was a lot of testing and iteration that happened in those 28 days to discover where the audience was and to deliver value to them in every communication and every conversation we had.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm I'm quite certain that all this you know customer development is going to feed directly in, into the next question that I have to ask for you, but uh, basically, you wrote a recap post after the launch, kind of outlining some of the biggest things, and, and the, in there, you mentioned that you guys had an audience of over 20,000 people before you even launched. So, how do you build that audience before the launch?
2: Uh, you, uh, <laughs> just uh, copy and paste everything I just said yeah, a minute yeah, ago, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the number doesn't matter, right? So. 20,000 sounds impressive. It doesn't matter if 10 people open it and I have a list of 20,000, right? So the, the vanity metric of, of you know, likes and how many subscribers I have or how many Twitter followers I have or how many people you know, upvoted my Reddit uh, post, none of those things matter unless you can turn them into uh, passionate advocates for what you're doing. And so that was something that we consistently test. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, One of the things I wanted to know is out of our list, and at the time I think it was about 10,000, out of our list, who were the most passionate people on our list? Mm -hmm. like Who really cared about this? Um, And so we we created, or I created a kind of what you could call a high bar test or um, a test that was really hard for somebody to actually complete. So it sounds... Really simple um, to do, and it is really simple to do. But the intention is what mattered, and so I, I put together a poster called the Brand Language Ecosystem Poster. You may remember this, and um, it just had the definition of a brand. If brand means relationship, what does that do to the word branding? What does it do to intentional branding or personal branding or these different words that we that we use? So it's just a simple poster, you know, nothing outrageous. Took me, you know, a few minutes to put together, and it's just a PDF. And so I sent it out with, you know, the subject line: "Hey, uh, here's the brand language ecosystem poster." And the first level of test is to see who would open it, right? So if I'm just measuring opens, I can say, okay, these people are listening, right? At least they're willing to listen to me, and they opened it, and they didn't just like then they read it, right? At least. Mm-hmm. And then the next layer is, I said, okay, here's the poster. Click here to download it, right? So there's another level. Now they're engaging with it, that they want the poster in some way, okay? So now we're filtering down from just those that may be listening or paying attention to those that have engaged with us in some way, okay? So we look at that number. And then the next thing that we do is I said, um, and print it out, tape it up in your office or your workspace, pull out your phone, take a photo of it, and share it on Instagram or Facebook or Um, Twitter with this hashtag, right? (laughs) so high bar right? and all I did was sit on Twitter, uh, actually it was just Twitter, it wasn't Facebook and and Instagram, it was just Twitter. All I did was sat on Twitter and followed the hashtag for the day and every time someone posted a photo, I'd reach out to them immediately and I'd send them an email and I'd say, hey I saw the photo, that's awesome, that's great, I want to have a conversation, I want to get to know you and, and why you printed it out and all this stuff. And that's just one example of saying, okay, how do we go deeper in discovering where people are in relation to us? And obviously, the people that took the photo mm-hmm. and posted it up and took the, you know, shared it are passionate about it. At least to some level, we can say that they're passionate. Absolutely. And so now, how do we go deeper, right? And, so, and then how do you use that learning to then the next people that you're reaching out to? And so that's how the list has grown, um, it has nothing really to do with uh, you know quick and dirty tips or you know uh, buy ten thousand from this person or whatever it would be. It really has to do with delivering value to your audience, and the only way you know what's valuable to your audience is if you're willing to experiment and discover that.
0: Yeah, that that's really really cool. I really like that. Um, so. You know, while the book launch and, and campaign was, was going on during that during that during that month, you had some really crazy personal stuff going on, um, like wildfires basically forced you to evacuate your house. Um, what were some of the biggest lessons you know you learned, or or can now look back and learn from from that from that time? I mean, like what was going through your mind as that's happening?
2: Oh man, yeah. So well, yeah, wildfires almost burned down the house um, from all sides of the house, which was crazy. So we went through. Uh, I think it was a seven-day, six-day evacuation. Um, my car got stolen in the process of that, um, which wasn't very fun, and um, and a bunch of other things. It was. It's. A, I wrote a really long post, and I always thank people for reading because it's really long, but uh, <laughs> it kind of sums up the emotions of of that time. And and I think the biggest insight through that, because you go through the highs and lows. I mean. There were seven days I could care less about what was happening with the campaign, and I, and that's not to say that um, I didn't care about my audience anymore. It was to say that it wasn't the most important thing um, to me. It, my family and my family's safety was the most important thing, and, and it's emotional going through stuff like that. And so um, being present there was more important than being present in the campaign. And so when you come back to it, it's kind of like going, oh man, um, you know, I left this for seven days, and it's just uh, it, it's you know petered out. It's kind of like. Uh, you know, if you leave a fire burning for seven days, it's going to die, mm-hmm. um, unless it has more fuel. And we weren't giving any fuel to the campaign. And so, when I came back, I think the biggest, like, lesson is, is the word "we." And I know it sounds uh, somewhat, you know, tired or, or trite, uh, maybe. But but there was a community that had already been developed around what I was doing, and, and you know, the book and the idea of brand innovation. And there was just personal things, obviously a fire and cars and all these other crazy things that happened um, that really prohibited me from engaging. And when I went to the community and said, here's what's going on, they rallied around us. And they rallied around me personally. And they turned it from I am running campaign, or me and my team, or you know the, the couple of us, to it being we. And that's what what changed things, and that's what brought life back to the campaign, and brought life back to um, kind of this this community was the we, and so we, you know, people that were passionate already were out there sharing it, were out there talking about it, were out there, uh, you know, bringing their friends along with them and their and their colleagues, and to the point that I I remember sitting in the last, uh, you know. Uh, two hours of the campaign uh, in my office, and uh, it was kind of like hitting refresh um, a bunch of times. It was kind of like cracked to watch, you know, what was happening.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: And um, and we crashed the site, right? Because there were so many people that were getting on to order the book that the the publisher's site crashes, and all of a sudden there's emails flooding in, and and I'm you know taking orders through PayPal because I don't know how else to do it because the site's down, and <laughs> and um, and that passion just sustained. I wish we had let it run for another four or five days, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because it was there. But uh, but that's the biggest lesson is, is that it's not – and this is true as a startup founder. This is true as an author. This is true as a small business owner. It's not just you. It's you and your audience and the people that have chosen to go with you on that journey of shared value. And that means that your brand is the relationship and is shared with other people so you don't have autonomy you don't have complete control but you also don't go it alone and that word we is so important and to continue to focus on that is what grows something the more that we say it's it's mine and it's I want to do this and it's you know you know they're gonna fall in line um, the lesson the farther and farther we get away from our audience and the farther and farther we get away from true organic growth and so we is such an important word and it's a lesson that came out of uh, my house almost burning down, and my car getting stolen, and the campaign almost failing, and all those fun things. So,
0: so crazy, but but very humbling to hear it too at the same time.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, we look back at it. You know, my wife and I have joked uh, quite often about the fact that um, 2014 was just wild. Uh, she launched her startup in 2014, um, which is awesome, and I think it's amazing. And uh, obviously, I, I wrote and launched a book. Um, you know was going all over the place we bought a house Uh, it almost burned down (laughs) Um, and uh, bought a car and we were joking literally at the end of 2014 just about the fact that like okay if you look at this year there's the the only thing we could have done more at this point personally is to have a kid and lo and behold in September we find out we're pregnant so (laughs) we're we're expecting in April so uh, congratulations the universe just kind of
0: you guys did everything.
2: Yeah, we, we can take 2015 off, I think. So <laughs> wow,
0: but that, that is yeah. insanity. So, I mean, with all that being said, what's next for you and the and the Lean brand? Uh, you know, in, in the coming in the future.
2: Yeah. So um, that's a great question. The bottom line is that a book is an idea. It's a it's a framework, and all frameworks and all ideas are wrong, right? And I accept that I am wrong in some way. The hope is is that it. The lean brand is useful. And so the only way that the lean brand or that a book in general can continue to have an audience is if other people take it and make it their own. And so I've realized that my job, um, you know, at this point is to find ways to support those that um, have have taken the the concepts and applied them and, and are practicing them and using them and and have made it their own. Um, it's not about me standing on you know, a stump and saying, oh, this is the only way to do it, and everybody else thinks. It's about me saying, look at these people that are doing it. Let's learn from them, and, and being a connecting point um, for resources, and for relationships, and for um, opportunities for people to grow in this. And so that's, that's what I'm focused on. Um, one of the things I'm really excited, actually, uh, this is the first time to announce this publicly, um, so you can take that to the bank and run with it, Um, but we are launching a thing called uh, Lean Brand Lab, and the idea is that it's a two-day brand innovation accelerator uh, in San Diego, California, uh, and we'll invite 12 startups, Um, so you can apply and we'll invite 12 startups to come to this uh, from anywhere in in the world. And we'll spend two days um, digging into their relationship with their audience and looking at ways to innovate. And we'll hear from some amazing uh, people that have done it. Uh, some of the case studies in the books, SD.io, um, Joel will be a part of it, um, all the way down to uh, some of the founders of, of GoPro and so on and so forth are going to come and speak. And, and it's not a conference. It truly is a lab. It's a chance for us to work together closely on how that relationship's going, um, diagnose what's happening, and find ways to experiment and run our first experiment during those two days uh, in the effort towards building passionate customers. And so um, that's what we're going to launch, that's what we're going to do next, uh, Lean Brand Lab. Um, Obviously we're eating our own dog food, we're running an experiment lab um, in February to test out the material, to test out uh, all of the aspects of the lab to make sure it creates value. And then we hope to, in April, uh, launch the first Lean brand lab um, for open to all entrepreneurs anywhere, um, to come and spend two days with me and, and some of the people that I put together, uh, the best practitioners, I think, in the world in this stuff, um, to learn and to dive into what your relationship looks like with your audience. That's really, really cool. Yeah, And then from there, uh, you know we're, the hardcover is hopefully going to be released in late February. And uh, there's rumor and talk about potentially doing uh, a coloring book, a lean brand coloring book uh, <laughs> in honor of, uh, of my son or daughter. We haven't, we're not going to find out. It'll be a surprise to us. But my son or daughter being born and, and plus it's just going to be fun to have that. And so uh, those are some of the things that people have requested and thought would be cool and, and that's what we're going to do. That is awesome.
1: Where do you see the biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs and are there any technologies or industries that you're really interested in right now?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm careful to be too prescriptive about uh, particular categories um, because they they evolve so often. Um, but I think one of the things that we're seeing are um, are startups or opportunities that are taking um, advantage of access that already exists. Uh, To to kind of make the point a little stronger, you look at things like uh, Lyft or Uber um, and what they're doing is they're taking advantage of excess capacity. People have cars, um, Mm -hmm. have time and and can move people from one area to another area as a taxi would. And it's taking advantage of those already existing resources and spinning them in a new way. Uh, And I see that that is something that uh, is really powerful. Uh, for a lot of people and that more than that, in my opinion, people get. Um, people go, oh yes, um, I, I get Lyft immediately, I get Uber and I, and I want to support it. Um, not necessarily because it's called Uber or because it, you know, it's a cool black car or any of those things. It's because it's, uh, it draws me into the idea um, of taking advantage of those that excess waste and, and doing something differently. And then the other technology, and this is completely personal bias. Um, and so take it for what it's worth, but I, I obviously it's no news that the wearables industry is um, you know kind of emerging very strongly. And um, I myself wear a Jawbone um, Up 24, and and I love it. I love the information that it gives you, uh, and that it really does enhance how you live you know, your day-to-day and, and challenge you. And I think that with the launch of, you know, Apple's, uh, I think it's called the Apple Watch. I think they're not calling it the iWatch. I'm not sure. But with Apple's watch and the connectivity between the, the M chipped in the phone and, you know, the tracker on your wrist, um, that the opportunities are going to be there for people to do some amazing things with that existing hardware um, and to make software and applications that enhance people's lives um, based on the information they're gaining from their day to day uh, I think are are two exciting uh, areas that I, uh, if I was not doing the lean brand, I would probably be jumping into. Actually, to be honest with you, if I wasn't doing the lean brand, I'd probably uh, be making craft jams and jellies. (laughs) Because I just think it's super fun, and I love to cook. And um, we had a little company called Jam Craft that just uh, sold at the farmers markets, type of thing. And and I just thought it was really fun. And um, but it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of sugar. And so I <laughs> haven't really been able to dive back into that. So for sure, that's
0: awesome. Um, so I mean, besides the Lean brand, are there any apps, books, or tools that you're completely obsessed with right now?
2: Yeah, uh, there is. Uh, I'm reading a lot of of uh, you know. Parenting things, um, and so that's one thing I, I won't go into. But there's a book that that has just kind of blown personally in my mind, and I'm sure a lot of people have already read it. But um, it's called Sort Your Brain Out, and it's by uh, Jack Lewis and, and Adrian Webster. And um, you know, I am not a neuroscientist, um, and usually I you know avoid that conversation. Uh, but they just have done an amazing job of explaining. Um, just actual neuroplasticity and why it matters and, and uh, I've been kind of obsessed with learning about that a little bit um, in the last few months and then uh, that would be a book, um, Elliot Pepper, or Piper just released his uh, newest book, I, I'd recommend that uh, as well, it's kind of a um, continuation of the James Bond of the startups or you know it's kind of a spy novel for startups based in a startup, I just think it's great. And then apps, uh, you know, I think for me, um, I've really enjoyed um, the depth of Evernote lately. Um, I know that it's kind of an old elephant in the tech space, um, but I think that the capacity it has to not just take notes, but to organize a lot of information that needs to be accessible uh, and to be immediate. Um, when you have an idea for something, um, you know, I have th- this file or this, this folder or, or I guess ongoing Evernote, that's just kind of like a, a dump space uh, for me. And so if I'm driving along and, I'm, and I see something or I hear something on the radio that I thought was really cool, or, um, you know, I have an idea that, uh, came to me about, you know, something for the lab or we should do this, or I wonder if we could tweak this. It's just so easy to pull out and write yourself a note, um, and go back to it in context. And so those are the things that um, I'm kind of using right now. Um, I know they're, I don't know, they're not brilliantly brand new, the cutting edge, but they're things that I think really uh, enhance and and, uh, help, at least for me, keep things organized and and moving. And then the other thing I'd say that I'm having experience with right now is if you haven't used uh, the U.S. Postal Services, and, and this is just... You know, I don't know if Canada has anything like this, but stamps.com, I've been really impressed with um, their service, and you know, usually all things government go way too slow in the U.S. and uh, are inefficient and about ten years behind any technology that should be out there. Um, but they, I've been using them with some of the shipping that I've been doing lately, and and um, it's been pretty brilliant. So yeah, cool, that's
1: awesome. Do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by that you think others should know about?
2: Well, I guess like my, my philosophy, or if it is a philosophy, and I don't want to give you half-baked philosophy here, but, but how I try and approach this stuff is, is that you have to accept um, the fact that you're wrong. And it sounds weird at first to say I'm wrong, but it's actually so freeing. Because I know that my book is wrong, and I know what I have. In this interview, I've given bad advice at some point, right? Um, and I know that I'm wrong. But that doesn't prohibit me from having an opinion, and so I believe that your point of view, uh, whether you're a startup and and especially if you're a startup, I should say, the point of view that you have, the reason that you are choosing to jump into this crazy world of entrepreneurship or to do it again, where the odds of success are, uh, you know, you're you're more likely to get struck by lightning than to make a billion dollars, right? Is is not because you want you don't you don't start this because you want to make a million dollars. I mean everybody says that they want to make a million dollars, sure. But you started it for a reason. You started it because you had a point of view or or a worldview that things could be better. And that's wrong it's to every it's not everybody's worldview, but it's yours. And so accepting your point of view and knowing that it's not truth for everybody, but being willing to stand by it and to have an opinion. Um, that's what helps people rally to you. And that's what gives you confidence that when you say, I'm wrong, but here's my opinion. And here's what I think. And here's why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Um, that is, to me, uh, a very powerful way to approach uh, any new venture. And then the other um, thing that I'd say is there's a great book called The um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And if you haven't read it, um, I highly recommend it, uh, but essentially, it's what Stephen Pressfield's arguing for is that when you try to do anything—a uh, new venture, write a book, do some art, write a song—anything that takes um, an effort of you know putting yourself out there and a creative effort—there's a level of resistance that will meet you, and that's been true for me, and so. How you meet that resistance is to say, I know it's there and I know I'm wrong, but I have a point of view and I think it's important to continue uh, down this path to share that point of view. And so those two things combined to me are are what shape how I approach, um, kind of how I live my personal life and how I think that uh, you can create value for other people is when you keep those two things present um, in your mind
0: wow, that's pretty that's pretty intense. I think that's one of the best answers we've gotten to that
2: question so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good, good. You could uh, hopefully uh, people get it and can use it and make it their own and and uh, feel free to run with it if you if that makes sense to you. If it makes sense to me, and I'm running with it. So if it makes sense to you, run with it, run with it. Perfect.
0: Well, Jeremiah, I really appreciate uh, having the chance to speak with you again today, man. It was awesome uh, having you on the show.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Franco, for having me. And and, uh, we'd love to see some Canadian startups at the lab. Um, You can learn more if you want at leanbrandlab.com.
0: Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.